0: Thank you for listening to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. How are you all doing this morning? Good, good. Got a big day, big weekend. We're bringing more pastors in to, to disciple. We had a conference tomorrow up at the ranch, and that makes now, in the last five years, about 150 pastors we've counseled and trained, and so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, I ran off without my Bible this morning. I asked Hector, Pastor Hector, if I could use his Bible. (sighs) Uh, uh, Looks like he hasn't been using it very much, uh, so he won't miss it. Uh, But uh, the men's retreat. You don't want to miss it, guys. We have a packed house already. God's going to show up. He always does. As usual, I'm going to use myself as an example quite a bit. Again, uh, And for you new people, I do use myself as an example in sermons very often just to show you that it works for me, because if it doesn't work for me, I shouldn't expect it to work for you. So, we've got a lot to say. Let's pray and let's talk. Father God, bless and anoint this. Bless and anoint it. Use me as your vessel, God. Without your spirit, it'll mean nothing, but I, you've been faithful for 50 years to anoint us with your spirit. So do that now in Jesus' name, amen. amen. I have a message for you today, and I want to make three points. I got, I got stuff all over my glasses now. I can't see. <laughs> Darn Hector. Uh, not open this Bible. I want you to see that we're called to be healing agents of God, and people need God. And when we show up, God shows up. Number two, there's a lot of broken people on the earth who need to be healed. Uh, they're in the, they're at our, our workplace. They're in our neighborhood. Definition of broken means it doesn't work anymore. They can't make life work anymore. Not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, and number three, as we let God heal people through us, He'll start actually healing us in return. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, He walked this earth 2,000 years ago. He walked this earth and He was a healer. He was in the healing business. And He came and He became our Savior and our Lord and our healer. And then when His work was done, He went home. He died and He went home. Of course, He resurrected in between. But it reminds me of a saying I, I, I left you with a few, two or three weeks ago. Love, love those that God has put into your life because someday he'll want them back. And we have a limited time on the earth. And one of the many things we're called to do is be a healing agent of God. See, Jesus told the apostles, it's to your advantage that I go away. And you say, how could this be to our advantage? Because, see, Jesus was one person going around healing. Now there's tens and thousands going around healing. And so to that extent, it's, it's advantageous. Now, wherever you go, Jesus goes. When you show up, Jesus just showed up. I see people praying all the time and, oh, God, come, come and help us right now. Well, you help them because you're God's agent. God, come and give a word right now. You give a word. You're God's agent. We are. Wherever we go, Jesus shows up. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're healers. We're called to be healers. The words we speak sometimes are healing words. Prayers we pray. God's in those prayers. Actions, wisdom. Uh, Pastor Al told me he was in the dentist's office, and all he simply did was wore a shirt that says... uh, Love like Jesus. And he said, the lady working on him started crying. That shirt ministered to her so much. Our very presence is sometimes a work of healing. I told you about an acquaintance of mine. He's now been with the Lord. But after church one Sunday, a young teenager got hit by a car. They rushed her to emergency, and so he went up right after church, and he saw the dad, which he didn't know his dad. The dad didn't go to church. The dad was up there pacing. She was in surgery, and so he didn't say a word. He jumped in and started pacing with the dad. The dad would turn around. He'd turn around, and he did that for 30 minutes. didn't say a word, and when the doctor finally came out and said, we got good news. She's going to be okay. He said, man, thank you. I've never been ministered to like that before. He didn't say anything. He was just there. He was just present, and so... There's a lot of people out there who are broken. They're all around us. And we're called to be the healers sent by God, doing it through His power. We're called to be healers. You know the old nursery rhyme? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. But you know what? Jesus can put him back together. You might be here today, and you feel like Humpty Dumpty going, Pastor Ron, I'm telling you, I've been to all the different counselors, I've been to the doctors, I've read all the books, and I just can't get healed. Well, I'll give you good news. Jesus can heal you. He's doing it all the time. I, 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 this morning, I, I wrote another stanza to the Humpty Dumpty uh, uh, rhyme, and it says, Humpty couldn't be put together again until one day he came to hear Pastor speak. And met the Jesus who gives power and grace to the weak. Now he goes joyful on his way with plenty about Jesus to say. So, that's the, that's the new new rhyme. Let's look at our text this morning in Acts chapter 3. Let's start with verse 1. We'll unpack some of the verses as we go. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour. That's about 12 noon, the hour of Prayer. Now, I want you to see the humanity in these men. We say Apostle John, Apostle Peter, but you know what? These guys had a real competitive spirit. I mean, you see it all through the pages of the Bible. Uh, One day, they were were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom. I'm greater than you. I'm going to sit at the right side of you. And they were arguing. And you go, duh, those are the apostles. Uh, when Peter was told by Jesus about his future and said, you're going to suffer and you're going to do this, this he pointed at John and said, well, what about him? What about him? Is he going to do better than me? They were competitors. In the Bible, it says in the book of John only that on the morning of the week that the two, Peter and John, ran to the empty tomb. And John adds in his gospel, but he said, I outran him. Basically, that's what he said. He he words it differently, but I outran him. I just want everybody to know, for the record, I got to the tomb quicker than Peter. I was there first. And none of the other gospel writers gave a hoot about that. They didn't put it in their gospels, but, boy, John put it in his. You say, why are you saying this? Because they were men just like us. They were no different. They weren't super saints. God can use imperfect people. God uses what He has. I mean, even the writer of James, after he tells about this great miracle of Elijah, the man who who caused there to be no rain for a certain amount of time, then he prayed and rain came. said, I want you to know, he he was a man with a nature just like ours. No different. So, when you read the Bible, whatever you see these great men and women of God doing, they were still just men and women. They were human beings. And they had flaws. And if God can do it in their life, He can do it in ours. And so you go on and you see that in this first verse that these men were abiding in the Spirit. They went to prayer three times a day. I mean, this kept them focused. Prayer three times a day. Now, now this is important. Stay, Stay focused on that. Let me give you Uh, a couple examples in Scripture about those who abide in the Lord. Now, three times a day praying will keep you in the Lord. When you're studying the Word and praying three times a day, here's some verses. Look at John 15, 4 and 5. It says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Now, we're always the initiator. God says, draw near to the Lord and then He will draw near to you. Abide in me and then I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, this guy or gal bears a whole lot of fruit. Now get that, that he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, just take it to the bank. You're going to bear a lot of fruit. i am going to be talking all the time, moving through you. For apart from me, you can do What? What? Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Are we going to get this down? Look at John fifteen seven. If you abide in me, if, that big if, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's crazy. See, prayer makes us spirit-sensitive. I, I hear a God a lot in prayer. I've trained myself. To hear God in prayer. See, some of you, you're not giving God a chance to talk. I mean, would you call a relative, say they lived in Michigan, and say, hey, hi, mom. You know, I'm here in Bakersfield. It's going to be 108 degrees today here. That's going to be hot, hot, hot. So, I'm going to stay in, and you know, the humidity is going to be bad, and the air quality is going to be bad, and you know what? I'm going to do this, 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 and say goodbye, punk. You never give them a chance to talk. Prayer is a two-way street. You won't believe the times that I hear God in prayer. I pause to give Him a chance to talk. And I go, God, i got this situation today. Do you want to say anything about it? And I'll sit and listen. Sometimes I have an ink pen in hand. It was in prayer that I heard to start this church. It was in prayer that God told me to move out from underneath some high lines that that put out EMFs. I had read that they caused leukemia, and one day God said, "Move now." I moved. Ten months later, I got leukemia, and God got me out. It was in prayer that that I, I got a bunch of things. I, you won't believe the things I've heard during a time of prayer. Now, the second thing I want you to say, well, in fact, that is a two thing. Let's go to verse two. Let's go to verse two. Okay, so they're going to the place of prayer, which they did three times a day, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb. He had never walked before. He was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Now, three things I want to unpack here. Number one is, this guy was set in the same place every day. Every day. This probably means that Peter and John went past him dozens, if not hundreds of times. Wow. It might even mean Jesus passed him a whole bunch of times. Yet no one was led to pray for him until now. Which makes a point I want to make to you. Need is not a criteria for ministry as much as being led by the Spirit is criteria for ministry. I drive around town. I see homeless people everywhere I go. But two or three weeks ago, I'm driving down the road, and I saw this homeless young man on on a bench, bus bench. And my heart just started tugging at me. You you know the feeling. If you walk with Christ, you know the feeling. I mean, what was different about this young man from the others? And I drove a block or two, and I finally said, "Okay, God, I give in. I give in. I turned around, went back, pulled into a hotel parking lot right there close to where he's on the bench. And I rolled my window down. I said, buddy, you okay?" He just looked up and said, yeah. I said, is there anything I can do for you? I'm a pastor, and I'd like to help you. He said, no. I said, buddy, let me tell you something. You don't belong out here. You don't belong out here. And I wished I could say that more happened, but that was basically it. Hopefully, I planted a seed. Again, I'm going to play a homeless video on the end this morning. And I want you to know that when I posed as a homeless person outside the old sanctuary years ago, again, and it's redundant, but I had a real spiritual moment people were giving me money. They were giving me waters. But inside of me, and I'll never forget it, it was a defining moment, something cried out and says, I want you to ask about me. I don't want just your money and your, your, your burritos. I want someone to care about me. Ask me where I came from and ask me how I got out here. I really want to know. Well, let's go back to the idea that they passed this guy a lot of times, I'm sure, but they never prayed for him. Uh, There's a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus visited the pool of Bethesda where it says that there were a multitude of sick people gathered there, the blind, the lame, the withered. Withered must be old, I guess, withered. Uh, That was funny to me. Uh, But they were gathered around the pool of Bethesda and they waited for the water to be stirred. There was a certain time of the year that they thought angels came down out of heaven. An angel would come down enter the pool, and it would stir the water, and the first one in would get healed. Now, I I could give you some theories about that, but we don't have time. Be that as it may, there was a certain man there, and Jesus is there, but he had been sick for 38 years. And Jesus approached him and said, do do you want to be made whole? And you go, what? Why would you even ask that question? Well, some of those beggars in, in those days probably were making bank. I mean, they it making, making more money than they could have made if they were working. Uh, some people like to be waited on. They, they like, you know, the sympathy. They like not having to work. Now, again, this is not an indictment or something I want to say against handicapped people. We really feel bad for you. Some of you can't. But I'm talking about there are some people who use the system. And so, Jesus says, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be responsible again? Do you want to get back in the race? And he answered Jesus said, you know what? I would, but there's no man to put me in when the angel shows up. He says, somebody gets in before me and they get the healing. And then, of course, Jesus healed him. Now, I want to step back and frame this. I've been teaching you. We don't just look at the letter of, of the law. We step back and frame what God's trying to say to us. And only one got healed. Why didn't Jesus heal everyone? I have a theory. Before I give you my theory, look at verse 19:20. Now Jesus, the Son of God, answered and was saying to them, "Truly, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the son also does. For the Father loves the son." And he shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that someday you're going to marvel. He says, man, I can't do it unless I know the Father is doing it. How many times do I pray to Wait, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I want to know what you're doing here because i got to get in with what you're doing here. I mean, maturity takes time, right? you got to practice these things. Okay, here's my theory. Why was this the only man healed at the Pool of Bethesda? My theory is, quite possibly, this was the only guy there that had a lot of people praying for him. When you pray for people, you draw God's presence to them. Now, that says a lot to us right there. That's my theory. Uh, Fremont Street, I'm not going to go through the story again, but when I go to Vegas sometimes I'll work the streets and I'm going to start doing it again because I'm back involved in Vegas again. And if you're ever on a vacation trip, come over and see us in Vegas church. I'm there a Sunday a month at least. And so, we're walking down the street that day, and I told you, and God drew me to this old man sitting on the wall. I mean, he, he was a mess. His feet were swollen. They had scabs on him. He was dirty. And out of all those people, God drew me to him. So much so, my wife said, you got to help him. And I tried. He turned me down. We even left. My wife said, you've got to go back. Got to go back. Got to go back. You've got to help this guy. I went back and finally was able to, to minister to him. We took him, put him in a hotel, cleaned him up, started bringing him to church, on and on and on. And uh, after about a year of doing that, uh, he got so healed up, we had him call his family. First, we had to locate his family. We had to, it was a big job finding his family. We located him, and you know what they told us? We haven't seen him for over 10 years. We thought he was dead. We've been praying for him every single day. And God used us as an answer to that prayer. And so his, his brother died back east. He went and married his sister-in-law. Take a look. Here was Ted before he died. He passed away with Jesus about a year ago. Look, there he is. Look, I was living on the streets with no hope. And man, he looks like a different man. If you would have seen him when we found him. I preach in Vegas. He'd come up and go, why? Just why did you take me off the streets? This is so, why? I said, God told me to take you off the streets. And so, very often we are an answer to other people's prayers. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to put yourself in a place to be an answer to other people's prayers? Uh, the homeless young man I encountered two weeks ago that I just told you about, someone was praying for him. I don't know what it did for me to tell him that, but hopefully I planted a seed. Uh, A guy told a story a while back. He was on the Golden Gate Bridge, going to commit suicide, and he says, I was there standing, and I started praying, God, please have someone come by and talk me out of this. Please have someone talk me out of it. Pretty soon a girl appears on the bridge, and he thinks, oh boy, God's going to hear my prayer. You know what she wanted? She wanted him to take a picture of her on the bridge, and then she left, and he jumped, and he survived. But I'm telling you, are you are you willing to start being an answered other people's prayers? God put this system of prayer in place. Uh, many of those homeless kids, and I'm going to refer to homeless a few times this morning, but I'm talking about hurting people all around you, work, neighbor. I'm not just talking about homeless only, but many of those. Those homeless kids in the streets, well, not many, but all of them are someone's daughter and sons. All of them are. And a lot of them are being prayed for. I know of at least three homeless kids out there in the streets today that are kids of people that attend this church. A very good acquaintance of mine, a very good friend of mine. He now doesn't live in town, but his sons is one of the young men out here. He said, I have to come back to town every month or two and go find him. I know about where to find him at to see if he's okay. Uh, see, a lot of the people on the streets, are, they're sick. How do you treat sick people? I know a lot of them are violent. A lot of them are there because they want to be there. I realize that. But they're always those ones. I've had a vision for of having a homeless church somewhere where the homeless do the announcements. They do the worship. They do everything except the preaching. We've got to have a new thought process, okay? Now, back to our text in Acts chapter 3. Notice where the lame man was laid at. He was laid at the gates of the temple, a place where he thought, surely, if anybody's going to care, it'll be the people of God, and rightfully so. Now, let's look at verse 3 and 4. When he saw Peter and John about to go in the temple, he began asking, to receive alms. Do we have verse 4? Yeah. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. Now, this guy thought he knew what he needed. They looked at him, and he says, man, I want some money. You got any money? He thought that money would solve his problems. But you know what? If he only knew, God wanted to give him something so much more valuable than money. He wanted to give him himself. See, a lot of you here today, I hear you telling someone else or even myself very often, God's not answering my prayers, not answering my prayers. Very often you're asking for the wrong thing. See, when you ask for the right thing, God will hear your prayers, but so often you're asking for the wrong thing. Heal my marriage, God. Heal my marriage. Heal my marriage. I don't think that's the prayer some of you are to be praying. Maybe you'll be praying, heal me. Heal me. Heal me. Then God will answer your prayer. Some of you, you know, get me off porn. Get me off porn. Get me off porn. God's not answering my prayer. Maybe you should be praying, God, give me a burning desire for you like I've never had before. And then that'll come about. More money, more money, more money, instead of, God, give me a spirit of contentment with what I have. And if the money comes, praise God, it comes. If not, whatever. Now, Peter and John did something that most of us never do. They made eye contact with the guy. Come on, come on, get real. You know how it is? We get to those medians at the off-ramp or the the stoplight. What do we do? We pull out our phone, you know, I'm not looking at them, you know. I'll start adjusting my mirror, you know. We don't want to make eye contact, because if we do... They're going to think that we're going to give something to them and just maybe we're afraid to make eye contact because the Spirit of Christ might put compassion in our heart and we might have to do even more. See, I'm telling you, we need to pray for a new heart. Look at verse 5 through 10. I'll make some comments and I'll give some observations. We'll be out of here. And he began to give them his attention expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I'm a preacher. I don't possess anything. (laughs) No silver or gold. But what I have, I'll give to you. If you don't have it, you can't give it away. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And then he does something so crazy. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. Immediately. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God and, and working for the L.A. Lakers. <laughs> and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This guy, do you know? He'd never been to church before because he was unclean. For the first time in his life, he entered the church, and he was excited about what God did for him. One day in a very, you know, liberal church, liberal, conservative, whichever you want to say, but one day in a very, very stuffy church, a man came in from the streets, and he sat down, and the preacher came out said, open the word. He says, Amen. Everybody looked at him, and the preacher went on, and he read a scripture, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And they looked at him again, and he kept doing that, so Usher came down the aisle. and said, hey, he said, what are you doing? He said, I just found Jesus. He said, well, you didn't find him here, so shut up. <laughs> we got people coming in. When Jesus touches your life, you're going to be noisy sometimes. And this dude, he got a little bit... Noisy because he was excited and he went to church for the first time. Let me in with a few observations, a quick video, and we're gone. But the first observation I want you to see is right attitude. We need to ask God to give us the right attitude for hurting people. It's so easy to put, especially the homeless, in one category they're drug addicts, they're troublemakers. They need to be in jail. Maybe some of them do. Maybe a lot of them do. But there's always those good ones mixed in. I would never forget. It was a defining moment for me. How I was serving down the rescue mission years back, and I looked up and couldn't believe my eyes. Here in the line was one of our church leaders from years ago. I mean, this guy had his life together. He had a great job with the utilities, everything, and I looked at him, and I went over and I said,
1: dude, what happened?
0: He's pastor. I hit a vein of bad luck, man. And unfortunately, two years later, he got beat to death under the bridge. And it just broke my heart how that we can't categorize even the homeless. We have to say, God, give me a new heart to see them differently. I was in Lassen Shopping Center a while back, and I never turned anybody down for food or water. And because I had Uh, you know, I had uh, some margins in my life that day. He said, man, could I get something to eat? And I said, I won't give you money, but I'll meet you at the restaurant. I went over. He said, they're going to kick me out of here, pastor. And I said, no, I'm going to sit down with you. They're not kicking me out. And I sat down, and he started pouring his heart out to me. I felt his pain, and I also knew that he needed to share his pain. And we sat there, and he said, basically, pastor, He said, I I turned into an alcoholic after I lost my job, my family, my wife anyway. I said, I've been an alcoholic for years now. I burned all my bridges and my children had nothing to do with me. They're all upset, everything. He said, I earned it. I earned it, Pastor. I have it coming to me. I'm not blaming them. And we sat there and I prayed with him and talked to him. But I just felt his pain and I knew he needed to share it. Can I ask you something? Let's really actually pray this week. Several times, please pray that God would, would cause us to have a new heart for all the hurting people around us. At work, in the neighborhood, on the streets, and even with the homeless. Let's don't, don't, don't clump them all together. They're sick people again. How would you treat sick people? And so let's get a new heart, okay? I'm not saying you're to give to them. I don't give to probably 75 or 80% of my seed. There's always that one. That one. Uh, two guys I brought back from Vegas, I've talked about it before. Um, you know, sometimes hurting people just need someone to believe in them. That's all they need. A lot of them never had a mom or dad to care about them and believe in them. That day in Vegas, the rescue mission, when I went over to these two brothers, one black brother, one white brother, and I went over and I said, hey, I I was was watching them from far off, and I was so impressed with them. I said, I'm going to take you back home with me. Today, pack your stuff. You're going home with us. I told you my wife pulled me aside and go, you don't even know these guys. are not getting in the car with us and going home with us. No way. And I told you what I did. I ended up giving them money for bus tickets. And my wife said, fat chance you'll ever see that money again. I said, no, I believe in these guys. I believe in them. And I told them, I said, you know what? This is probably one of the stupider things I've done. I'm giving you each $125, $130. I want you to get a bus ticket and meet me in Bakersfield. And I said, I trust you. I read a story about Dr. Glenn Livingston. He tells the story of a time when he was doing his internship in clinical psychology, and one of his patients was a young lady who had been working the streets. And she came to him because she wanted to become a responsible member of society. And he said he'd been meeting with her regularly, and he was making a lot of progress, when on one occasion he needed to use the restroom right in the middle of a session. And so, as he reached the door, he remembered his wallet was in the pocket of his suit jacket, which was back in the room. So, he went back in, took his wallet out of his suit jacket, and the young lady looked at him and said, I'm not a thief. When he came back out, she was gone. He went to his supervisor and said, what can I do to mend this? I think I really messed up. And his supervisor looked at him and simply said, Glenn, you cannot unbreak an egg. See, when, when a relationship is built on trust and you violate that trust, it's difficult to restore. When I counsel married couples through the years and one of them is given an infidelity and has broken that trust, I usually do two things. First, I ask the, the victim spouse, I say, are you willing to forgive them? Because they are, they're, they're very sorry for their sins. Because if you're not, what I'm not going to allow you to do is torture them the rest of their life for what they did. You need to forgive it and forget about it. Then I asked the person that has committed the crime, I've said, are you willing to do what's necessary to gain their trust back? Because it's going to be a lot of work. And if you're willing, God can save this marriage. But if you're not willing to call home every once and do a bunch of stuff to earn their trust back, then it's not going to work. Well, the story goes on. And sometime later, the young lady returned to see the doctor and this time again, he had to excuse himself in the middle of the session. But this time, took his wallet out and handed it to her and said, would you watch over this while I'm gone? He came back. Nothing was missing. She returned the wallet. David Meek, you've heard the story how I brought this young man in at 17, 18, because he had lost everybody. No one believed in him anymore. And I started believing in him. And today, he's like a second son to me. He calls me all the time. Sean Newsom's another one that we brought in at a young age. Everybody giving up on him. Sean's now a professor at BC and writes me all the time, Pops, are you doing okay, Pops? What's going on, Pops? Uh, Sometimes these broken people just need someone to believe in them again. David Meek tried to commit suicide, and we took him into our home. Good-looking kid. And one night I remember I didn't let anybody. My Jeep was my prize thing. Nobody drove it. And he came in and said, can I drive your Jeep tonight? I want to go out. I said, here's the keys. I trust you. You know what? I said, have it back by 10. At 10 o'clock on the dot, he had my Jeep back in the parking lot and then went and took 90 more pills and tried to kill himself. But he knew I trusted him. He knew that I believed in him. And that's all some broken people need. They don't have a mom or dad that believes in them. Observation number two is we have to come to a place where we. Where's the power? Is there a PowerPoint here? Observation number two. I kind of lost my place. Uh, Something's gone wrong. Okay. Observation number two is we've got to share the word with them. Share the word with them. See, these broken people know nothing about the word of God. They don't know anything about these vast promises found in Scripture. When you open up the Word of God to lost people, they go, oh, my gosh, my head's going to blow up. You mean God's going to meet all my needs? You mean He's going to hear my prayers? You mean He's going to lead me and guide me and talk to me? Wow, the Bible opens up a whole new world to them. See, what we want them to know is you need to tell God you're sorry and ask Him to come into your life. And then you'll start walking with Jesus the same way the apostles did. And Jesus will lead you into a life of healing and wholeness. I mean, you won't believe how God leads me. Right now, He's talking to me about mushrooms, He's talking to me about stress, talking about drinking water, He's talking about everything. I mean, he just He's leading me and guiding me into wholeness. Number three, observation number three. We need to recommit ourselves to margins in life. See, if we don't have margins, we're not, God's not going to put people in your, your path. Again, margins, the, the space between the limit and the load. If I go in the gym, put 150 pounds on a barbell, uh, and that's, the max I can lift is 150, then I'm right at my margin. If I put 125 on the barbell, I have a 25-pound margin. If I put 175 on the barbell, I'm going to hurt myself. So margins, getting to work early, leaving for places early. So, we can stand around the time clock and talk to people and minister to them. See, God's not going to lead people into your life if you have no margins. For example, maybe you're, you're on the way in and, and you're 30 minutes early this morning. And you're driving down the road and God reminds you that somebody's been going through a hard time at the job, loves Starbucks. You have time to go through and get them a Starbucks. I mean, it's crazy when you have margins. God will move. Uh, again, I was uh, somewhere uh, the other day and. I was down down there on California and Oak or wherever, and I saw a 16-year-old girl walking down the street, and she didn't fit. You could tell that something was wrong. She was going from the hotel, going back, very cute little girl, about 16. And again, my heart went, oh. And I wanted so bad to go talk to her and try to get her off the streets. But you know what? I had no margins. I had to be somewhere. It was a tight schedule. But it bugged me so bad that I went home and got my wife. I said, would you go back with me? we got to find this girl. And we never did. But if I had margins, the story might have turned out differently. Again, we need margins because I don't think God's going to interrupt our schedule with anybody if we don't have margins. we got to show ourselves prepared, right? And say, God, i got more time. Put people in my path. Then he will. Start trusting you. But he's not going to if he knows you don't have time anyway. Uh, the fourth observation, be bold in prayer. I mean, I wouldn't do what these guys did. Come on, gang. I don't know if any of us are that mature. I mean, what would have happened if you went to this guy that couldn't walk for his whole life and pulled him up and he fell over and busted his head open? I don't know if we're ready for that. I guess if God told us to do it, I've done some stuff a couple times about that crazy and went home and went, man, I'm glad God was in that, man. I'm known to do some crazy things, but be bold. Be bold. What do you mean by be bold? For you, it might be pray in target if they let you. Pray in there if the person is okay with them. I mean, go up to a stranger and say, I feel like I'm supposed to give you 20 bucks. That's bold. Uh, invite someone to church that, that, that would never go to church. Uh, ask people, you know… Uh, if they would pray in the park, I don't know. I mean, today some of you might go out and be bold enough to put a $20 bill on somebody's uh, windshield wiper place. I don't know why, but God told me to buy your lunch today. I mean, let's be crazy and bold, all right? Let's get spirit-filled and, and act like drunk people, drunk in the spirit, that is. Uh, the fifth observation, put your cares on the altar daily. And I know this is redundant, but... If you're going to be people sensitive, and if you're going to be totally where you're at during the day, you have to take the time to put all of your problems on the altar before you leave home. Otherwise, your mind's going to be on you and your problems. Pray through before you leave home. Give it all to God and believe that that He has it. And then during the day, instead of, you know, being self-centered with your thoughts when something comes up, like my husband's a scumball, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, you can say, nope, already put that in the altar this morning. And then when your husband calls her from work, you say, how's your day going? Well, not real good. Oh, really? Uh-huh. I'm praying that you'll have hell on earth till you get saved, dude, and get right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, notice in our text, they prayed three times a day. You go, I couldn't pray three times a day to save me. Oh, yes, you could. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Listen to me. You say, you know, what, my kids, man, they're just not turning out good. Are you praying for them every day? If you're not, then what do you expect? My marriage is horrible. Are you praying for your marriage every day? What do you expect? If left alone, you're going to, the devil will get into these, these, these crooks and crannies. He'll get in there. I mean, you got to pray for your kids. you got to pray for the friends that they have. And pray about their friends. You got to pray for their salvation. You got to pray that angels will be with them during the day. You got to pray that they'll be sensitive to the spirits. You got to pray about your marriage, your spouse. You got to pray about loved ones that are unsaved, about your finances. Should I sell or buy? You got to pray about decisions, about stress, about your job, about doors to be open for ministry. You got to pray for your church. You got to pray for your leaders. You got to pray for the next election. And hey, you don't have enough hours to pray. Now, today we don't have that official three times to go pray. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. Pray all the time when you're in the car. You know what? I, I, I have a habit when I travel. I like the old country music in the 80s. I like a lot of it. And so in the oldies too, Herman's Hermits, you know, Loving Spoonful. And I like to listen when I'm traveling. But you know, very often when I get in my car instead turn the radio on, I don't have time because I have to cover too many things in prayer. It's not that it's evil to listen to that music. It's evil if God wants to be praying over stuff I need to, to be praying. It's not the music itself. And so we've got to learn to, to do that. And the next one is pray for God. It will give you the heart of a healer. Pray that. you so God, I need more compassion for people. What if you pray that every day? Wow, wow, wow. I mean, so often again, you know, we're praying for the wrong things. If you pray and God answers that prayer and gives you a heart of a healer, I mean, everything else is going to fall in place. Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything else will be added to you. So start praying for that heart, heart of compassion. And then the next one, watch God change your life. You reap what you sow. The measure you mete out to others comes back to you. watching change your life. Now, notice in the story how this man was so changed by the Spirit. And this happened rapidly. It doesn't always happen this rapidly. But he was so changed by the Spirit that they didn't even recognize him. Everybody goes, wait, is that that dude? That's the dude? That's him, look. That's the dude that was laid out here every day at the gate of the... What? Well, same way here at VBF. We have interesting people here. Some of you come in today, and you go, dear, don't look over your shoulder, but to my right, three rows back, I think that's crazy Carol. I'm almost sure that's crazy Carol. She was worshiping. I saw her hands right. That's crazy Carol. And then you go, guess what? On the way in, I saw Bully Bob here. Bully Bob at church? Yeah, I don't know. I, I saw him putting money in the offering plate. Whoa! People are amazed. People at VBF, especially the East Side, are always amazed. I mean, for example, I'll ask you the same question I asked the first service. How many of you have been in jail? Raise your hand. Yeah, about a third of you. <laughs> How many's on probation? No, we don't want to ask that one. You'll really scare people. Uh, trials pending. How many? You know. Uh, They say that, you know, one of every three people is crazy, and so look at the two people aside of you, and if they look normal, you're you're crazy when you're it. You're it. it. Now listen to me. I want to show you a video that we did here decades ago. When we were in the old sanctuary, that was many years ago. And I posed as a homeless person. I told you, as I sat there, I had this spiritual revelation. I want people to know about me. Take a look at this and I'll I'll make my new remarks and we'll go home. You have everything you need. Cool. All right. No Good morning. Good morning. Good
1: morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, sweetie. That's very nice. Thank you. He loves you too very much. Thank you. Minutes. Thank you. You know what? I'll tell you what. I will uh, I'll give you 20 bucks when you come inside with me. I'll come in in just a few minutes. Thank few you minutes? very much. You're very kind. God will bless you. Thank you. Well, it's much cooler in there. Thank you. I'll be in, in just a few minutes. Thank you. Okay. Thank don't you. Need anything else? We'll no, I'm fine. Drink. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Find me, okay. Okay, thank you. You've done to the least of these, you've done to me. You guys were great. You were great. First service every 25 people that came by one stop. And you know, I ain't doing too bad. I might just continue to do this, I don't know. <laughs> Think I'm obligated to give this back. But just same to you, I'll go to In-N-Out Burger today.
0: You know, this dude on the freeway off ramp made buck that Sunday. Everybody's hearts felt so guilty for not giving. But we got to pray that God will give us a heart for the lost. Are you willing to do that starting this week? Our hearts have to change. Come on, I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm also pointing back at myself. It's so easy to become hardened and look at the homeless and look at the hurting around us at work even, just as people with problems. But we're called to be healers of problems. God's anointed us. That's why we're on the earth. I woke up the other morning thinking, right now, if you died today, today, the split second, could you answer God's question if he said, did you accomplish my will for you on earth? How many of you would be speechless? I mean, even if you could say to him, God, I, I did. I prayed every single day for everybody I knew. God's going to a reward for that. Or if you could say, no, you know what? I heard Pastor Ron's sermons. I prayed to have a heart change for the homeless. We're all here on assignment. And one of our assignments is to be a healer for broken people. That's all I got to say today. That's all I have to deliver. Guys, sign up for the men's retreat out there. There's not many spots left. Join several hundred men. If I, and I might play this for you in the next week or two, if you could hear the worship at the men's retreat when three or four hundred men are worshiping God. If you could see the puddles of tears at the altar sometimes of men being healed. We go to the mountain, we get healed, come back. Wives, some of you push your husbands back and say, you are signing up. If you don't, you're going to be in big trouble because I'm going to start praying about you. Father, right now, if anybody here doesn't know you as their Savior, right now, let them know. All they have to do is go home today, get alone, or they can do it right now. Anybody who doesn't know God, pray this prayer with me. Say, God, everybody pray, God, I'm sorry for ignoring you. Today, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit, come and live in my body, and make me one of your kids. I'm gonna choose to believe in that simple prayer. Thank you for hearing it. Amen, love you guys, see you here, there in the air. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661 325 2251
1: or visit our website at VBF.org.